It is Thursday, November 11th here at DraftShark Studios in Rochester, New York. Veterans Day here in the United States. So thank you very much if you served our country. We appreciate your contributions. Welcome to the Week 10 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, let's jump into a Thursday night game. It's got Baltimore at Miami. The Ravens by 7.5 on the road in this one, over under 46.5. And on the Baltimore side... We're going to see if Sammy Watkins is finally ready to play. Put in a full practice Wednesday, still questionable for the game. I mean, it doesn't really matter for whether Sammy Watkins is in lineups. I wouldn't be playing him, but it could matter if you've been playing Rashad Bateman, especially in a deeper type of league the past couple weeks. Yeah, definitely adds downside to Bateman. I mean, the Ravens spent a first-round pick on him. He's been good in all three games now. I'd be surprised if his playing time takes a big dive with Watkins in there. But it, it could dip a bit. He was already, already wasn't a full-time player to begin with. Might not be a huge passing volume game from the Ravens side if the Dolphins can't kind of keep up. So um, I think Bateman's down to like a risky wide receiver three, assuming Watkins is active. Yeah, it adds risk to Bateman. We really don't know the effect yet because we haven't seen Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins on the field together yet. But it is a lower volume pass offense usually when they're winning. And I think we both expect them to win pretty easily against these Dolphins tonight. So there's risk to playing Bateman. There's upside. He did go five for 52 against the Vikings last week, saw eight targets. The Ravens threw 41 times in that game, which was a shootout. He had a couple of deep balls, did Bateman, that could have made it a truly big game that just missed. Like Lamar Jackson was short for him a couple of times. One was wiped out by a defensive pass interference penalty. So he could be coming off a big game. It looks like he's a key part of the offense. I don't think that they're going to significantly limit his role, but Again, we don't know what it's going to mean for targets or playing time once Watkins is back in the lineup. Yeah, Bateman's had season highs in snaps and route rate and um, targets with eight last week. So, again, he, he's been trending up, and I, I sort of think Baltimore is just going to stick with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we you know we won't know until, until this game starts tonight. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. Sammy Watkins, a little bit less Devin Duvernay, even though he made a nice catch in the end zone last week. Latavius Murray is doubtful for this game, so it doesn't look like we'll get him back. I wonder if even once Latavius Murray comes back, if it's still going to be Devontae Freeman leading the backfield, because he's playing well for them. and He's coming off probably his best game with the team. Worked as the top back against Minnesota. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry. Some of that's the Lamar effect. But, you know, like I said, Freeman has looked pretty good. He's looked pretty good. And, you know, he, he kind of separated himself from the other two guys, you know, Le'Veon Bell and Tyson Williams last week. Freeman was up to 58% of the snaps. He got 13 of the 24 running back carries. Le'Veon Bell got the other 11. Uh, Freeman also got three targets last week. He was actually 14th among running backs in our expected fantasy points. So the usage was pretty strong for him last week. Solid matchup tonight as, you know, decent-sized favorites against a kind of mediocre Dolphins run defense. I mean, the risk is Baltimore could easily switch back and, you know, play more Le'Veon Bell or play my Tyson Williams tonight. So it's not a lock. But um, if Freeman's in the role he was in last week, I think, you know, he, he's like an RB2 for this week. Yeah, and he was the first running back in in that game. He played 57 snaps to Le'Veon Bell's 23. Uh, Tyson Williams played 18. Freeman and, and Bell split carries in overtime four for each of them but Freeman got all three of the running back targets for that game if you don't count Patrick Ricard's targets in that group because he's not exactly the same kind of guy so I would play Freeman tonight obviously not a high level play 
But, you know, if you're in the level where you're like, okay, which Baltimore running back is it? It looks like Devontae Freeman. It looks like he should be a solid player. The Miami side, too, is still questionable with that finger fracture on the left hand. Limited this week, was limited all last week as well. So I don't know how much we can get from that. Do you know what the chances are that Tua plays tonight? I mean, the report last week was that he, you know, that he tried to warm up in pregame and that that he couldn't throw hard enough or or far enough uh, with that fractured finger. So I kind of think it's going to be Brissett tonight. I kind of hope it is for the Dolphins skill guys. Like, I think it'd just be uh, a lot less downside there. Um, So that's kind of what I'm expecting. Obviously, you know, Tua or Brissett, they're just quarterback twos, uh, depending on who's in there. I mean, not throwing far enough or hard enough hasn't stopped Ben Roethlisberger from playing, so I'm not sure I understand the problem for Miami. But we'll see who the quarterback is. Officially questionable. We'll get that about an hour and a half before kickoff tonight. No Tua last week. No Devontae Parker, who landed on IR ahead of last week's game. We got 10 Jalen Waddle targets in that game. We got eight for Mike Gusecki. We got six apiece for Miles Gaskin and Mac Hollins. I think that we should expect similar usage for Waddle, Gasicki, Gaskin. And, I mean, it's another game where we expect them to fall behind. So it should be a solid bet for target volume for all three of those players. Yeah, pretty concentrated offense without Devontae Parker. Um, Jalen Waddle, Mike Gasicki, and Miles Gaskin have all seen more targets per game without Parker than with him. So you know, pretty easy offense to project. And I do think Gasicki, Waddle, and Gaskin are all like you know mid-range fantasy starters tonight. On top of those six targets, Gaskin got 20 of 24 running back carries. He took those 20 carries for a whopping 34 yards against Houston. Got a touchdown on the ground, plus good receiving work. I wonder if that whole combo of what he did last week fantasy-wise makes Miles Gaskin a big sell this week. I mean, it's it's tough because we're doing this on Thursday afternoon and he plays Thursday night. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of time to do that. But it looks to me like it might be a good time to try as hard as you can to sell Miles Gaskin. Yeah, I was surprised to see I mean, him get 20 carries uh, in that game last week. Um, you know, the, the receiving usage has been there all season, which is nice, especially in a short week. I would sort of expect the rushing volume to come down. But, um, you know, he's obviously Miami's lead back, and I think he's he's a solid play. Now, against the Ravens defense, that's just sort of been mediocre all season. And they might be without Brandon Williams again, a defensive tackle. Tampa Bay at Washington. The Bucks by nine and a half, over under a 51 and a half. Is Antonio Brown going to play this week? No, he's nowhere close to playing based on everything we've seen and heard. And Rob Gronkowski, I don't think he's going to play this week either. Bruce Aaron's been on Sirius radio this morning, and you know, he said Gronk is still two or three weeks away from being back to 100%. So, um, And then Chris Godwin was the add to the injury report on Wednesday. So this Bucks passing game is all sorts of beat up. Um, so I'm probably going to have to wait, wait till Friday to really get a good idea of who's going to be available. Yeah, Scotty Miller was designated to return from IR this week. We'll see if he's actually back on the active roster by game time. Tyler Johnson could be a deep option if we're expecting to be without uh, Antonio Brown, even though he's shed his walking boot at least. And we might be without Chris Godwin as well. That certainly might be enough to make Tyler Johnson a viable Mm -hmm. fantasy start this week. So we'll kind of have to see where everything is by the weekend. And then if both of those wideouts plus Gronk are out, and, you know, it's looking likely for Brown and Gronk, Jalen Darden could at least be a DFS flyer here. They also signed uh, Rashad Perriman to the practice squad this week. Um, you know, he, he spent 2019 with the Bucks, so has some familiarity with the offense, not necessarily with Brady. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see who's available. I mean, I think you're probably starting Brady regardless. You know, no A.B., no Gronk, and no Chris Goblin, if that's the case, would, would certainly lower the ceiling on him. Yeah. Um, but there's still Tom Brady and Mike Evans. So I think I think he'll be all right. And I think that I'll continue forgetting that Prashad Perriman exists. On <laughs> defense, the Bucks might get Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting back at corner for this game. Both of those guys 
are nearing returns from IR. Uh, Carlton Davis, we'll see this week. Sean Murphy Bunting got designated to return last week um, when they were on by, so we'll see if he's ready to play. That would certainly help the defense. Not sure how much it matters for this particular matchup, though, because there just aren't that many players in Washington with decent fantasy outlooks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's McLaurin who, man, looking at his weekly finishes, the biggest boomer bust wide receiver in fantasy this season. He has three weeks inside the top five wide receivers. He's been outside the top 45 in the other four. I mean, th- this is a game you could see him boom because he should have volume on his side of Washington playing from behind. But I could also see Washington's offense, you know, not doing a whole lot. Tampa's pasty, by the way. They're up to um, 10th in football outsiders DVOA. They're still a decent matchup because teams throw at them at such a high rate. Um, but it, it's it's not a bad pass defense. So um, careful with McLaurin. He probably got to start him, but he obviously has a much lower floor than you'd like to see. And certainly understandable that he would rank among the bigger boom bust guys. He's set up to be a boom bust player. He's good. He's the dominant number one receiver. He's got Taylor Heineke as his quarterback. He's got absolutely nothing around him on offense. So yeah, that's how it's going to be. Probably starting him and then crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Logan Thomas is a maybe to return. Uh, Ron Rivera said that after Thomas returned to practice on Monday, his hamstring was sore. He's, of course, missed the past four games. They had their bye. Not on the active roster yet, so we're not going to get injury reports on Logan Thomas during the week. We'll probably have to wait until Friday to see what his status is. Yeah, or even Saturday. I think that's the deadline for them to officially activate him off IR. So we'll see. I mean, I I think it, when Thomas is healthy, he'll take back the lead role. You know, Washington gave him a pretty big contract recently. So I, I do think he's going to be the guy, even though Ricky Seals-Jones has played pretty well in his absence. I think ideally, though, you, you give – give Thomas a week just to see the role, see that he's healthy before getting back into fantasy lineups. I agree. I think RSJ has at least played well enough that if they're not sure how Logan Thomas is going to be, they limit his role. Maybe uh, even just have him as kind of emergency option for that first game back. So I would like to not play him if I can help it. The backfield Antonio Gibson remained limited coming out of the bye in Wednesday's practice. Still got the shin issue, so he's just going to be managing that for a while still, it seems. And his playing time has been down each of the past three games. I mean, we, we heard right when we found out this was a stress fracture that it, it's not going to get better unless they sit him for multiple weeks. So I don't think the bye week is going to have done a whole lot for Gibson. I'm sure, it helped a little, but he's still not going to be 100%. Um, he's finished outside the top 30 running backs and half PPR points in each of his last three games. And now he gets this brutal matchup against the Bucs. You know, we know teams barely even try to run on them. I think J.D. McKissick is the best play in Washington's backfield this week. Um, he's going to have game flow on his side with Washington likely playing from behind. Tampa Bay is 25th in football outsiders running back coverage rankings, and they've allowed the seventh most catches to running back. So I, I think McKissick should have a pretty busy and productive game in the passing game on Sunday. They've allowed the second most running back receptions per game of any defense in the league behind only Cincinnati while also seeing the league's fewest running back carries. So, yeah, I agree. This is a good week to play J.D. McKissick. Ten, six, and eight targets in those past three games with a limited Antonio Gibson that we already mentioned. And, you know, as you said, this is a spot where all opponents are like, well, we're not going to run the ball very much against them. We're just going to keep throwing it. It could be a big game of usage for J.D. McKissick. I agree. Detroit at Pittsburgh Steelers by eight and a half over under 42 and a half DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, really the only guys worth a look. And just to, I guess, emphasize that Khalif Raymond is our top ranked lions wideout. He's 63rd in the PPR ranks one spot behind Tajay Sharp. Yes. It's Hawkinson and Swift. You know, Hawkinson looked as healthy as he has in a while prior to the buy head and 11 target game. So that was good to see Jamal Williams still did not practice on Wednesday with that thigh injury. You know, he missed the game previous to the buy. 
it, it's good news for Swift. I know Swift didn't deliver in that game before the bye against the Eagles, which is a blowout loss. But no, Jamal Williams is still good for good news for DeAndre Swift. Obviously, I think you know he he's gonna get most of the running back work if Swift is out. If uh, if Jamal Williams is out. Uh, and just to go back to Raymond, he had that he's had flash spots. So we know that he could put up numbers in, you know, a game here and there. But he followed that big six for 115 game with just one target against Philly. And his weekly target counts have gone four, two, ten, six, two, seven, eight, one. So you got to know that if you play Khalif Raymond, there's a chance that he completely disappears or a chance that he contributes something. Yeah, try not to play Khalif Raymond. <laughs> Ideally. On the Steelers' side, Chase Claypool seems like he's a good bet to be out because it was a positive report this week that he had a test on his injured toe and will not miss the rest of the season. Now, we don't know how long he's going to be out. They haven't put him on IR yet as of this recording. So we'll see how serious the injury is, but they called him week to week, which almost certainly means he'll miss this week's game. Yeah, I'm assuming he'll be out this week. So you're going to have James Washington will probably kick to the outside. He'd been playing in the slot, and then you're probably going to have Ray Ray McLeod in the slot. I mean, I'm not sure how much more volume Deontay Johnson can get, but he he might get even more with Chase Claypool out. So obviously playing Deontay Johnson and Claypool's absence can't hurt Pat Fryermuth either. We'll see what happens when Eric Ebron's finally ready to return. You know, that might cut into Fryermuth's snaps a bit, um, but I think he's playing well enough and he's going to see enough targets where, you know, you're, you're starting him at this point, especially in this matchup against Detroit. Yeah. We'll see what the effect is there. Obviously it's, you know, certainly possible. It can only help Pat Fryermuth if Eric Ebron is out, but they picked him in the second round despite a shoulder injury. There, all the indications have been that they really like him, that Ben Roethlisberger really likes him. He's been producing. So it's also entirely possible that Eric Ebron's return doesn't negatively impact Pat Fryermuth. And especially with Juju and uh, Chase Claypool not around. I mean, there's room for two tight ends to be involved. Maybe Eric Ebron is part of the answer at slot receiver for them as opposed to a challenge to Pat Fryermuth. So I, I would continue on with Pat Fryermuth and, and treat him as I did the past two weeks rather than worry yeah. about Eric Ebron's return. And then we'll see whether there's reason to worry about Eric Ebron's return and the effect on him. So I like him as a play this week. James Washington is sneaky. He's had two games earlier this year of about 80% playing time. One Deontay Johnson missed, one Chase Claypool missed. Saw five targets in each of those games. So he's not going to be an awesome bet for target volume. But, you know, if you're looking way down the list where you're considering guys like Tajay Sharp and Khalif Raymond, James Washington has some upside in that range. Yeah, I still think James Washington's good. Problem is he's kind of like Chase Claypool where he's a downfield guy and Big Ben can't get the ball downfield anymore. Also, uh, Pittsburgh is 25th in situation neutral pass rate over the last four weeks. They have gone run heavy which is what they should do when you have Najee Harris and you have an old crappy quarterback so I'm not I'm not super excited about Washington even though you know he should basically be a full-time player at this point with Claypool out New Orleans at Tennessee Titans by three over under a 44 and a half and Jared are we gonna have to get through week 10 with no Alvin Kamara possibly I didn't see anything in last week's game but he didn't practice on Wednesday, uh, Nick Underhill called it a minor sprain. You know, we don't know what ligament or whatever. It doesn't tell us a whole lot. But it, it sounds like it's not a major injury, but it, it might keep him out this week. So, um, you know, if Mark Ingram's available in your league, grab him immediately because you know, he, he'd be a solid fantasy starter if Kamara does not play this week. Yeah, make sure you have a contingency plan, whether it's Mark Ingram or another player. Just make sure you have somebody to start in that spot just in case Kamara can't go. And we'll all be lighting a candle for him this week. If there is no Alvin Kamara in this game, I mean, Mark Ingram is a decent option. It's nine carries, five catches last week against Atlanta, and he's looked pretty good since rejoining the Saints. He looks like a guy who, you know, 
left the, the Texans and, and went to a team that, you know, has a shot to make the playoffs. He's looked re-energized. It might just be yeah, those and, black and, pants and, that, uh, and the mouth guards <laughs> that they have for the, in New Orleans, too. Yeah, he, he, does, he does look good in the Saints uniform. Um, yeah, I mean, vo- volume alone, I think, would you know, make him a fantasy starter. I'd expect, you know, 15 to 20 touches if Kamara's out. I don't know if anybody watching remembers, but there was a few years ago where they had the report on the Saints having these special mouth guards that helped maximize guys' athleticism, had them running faster and jumping higher. But I, I haven't heard of any grand shift to the uh, energizing mouth guards around the league since then. I missed that one. <laughs> it's that and the juicy fruit. That's the other performance enhancer in New Orleans. Trevor Simeon threw for 249, two touchdowns against the Falcons. So he's not worthless. Also not dragging anyone to fantasy relevance. So we'll, we'll see where it goes there. And it's tough to like anything among the pass catchers, not named Camara. Deontay Harris, though, past three healthy games, eight, seven and eight targets. So, I mean, you know, if you're looking down the list for a PPR option, he's in like Jamal Agnew territory. Yeah, the Saints still haven't named a Week 10 starting quarterback yet. I am expecting it to be Simeon. Sean Payton, you know, and it was ugly for the first three quarters of that game, and Simeon kind of came to life in the fourth quarter. Sean Payton said afterward that he, he graded well after watching the tape, and if you look at the PFF grade, Simeon was eighth on the week in PFF grade, so he did play pretty well. So he's just kind of keeping Taysom Hill out of our fantasy lineups for now. Um, yeah, Deont- Deontay Harris volume has been nice the past couple weeks. He's still, you know, 40 and 42% of the routes over the last two weeks. So that, you know, he he's, has a super low floor. Like he's earning a lot of targets on limited routes. It's kind of, it's kind of tough to live that way. Yeah. As we've learned with Rondale Moore early in the season, anything else on the Saints side? Adam Troutman is a guy who the playing time has been strong for about a month now. And he's seen six and then seven targets over the last two games. So not, not a tight end one, but if you're, if you're desperate, um, Troutman is someone to at least give a look to on the Titans side, AJ Brown limited Wednesday with a knee issue, not on the injury report, uh, Wednesday or Thursday in week nine, then sat out Friday's practice with that issue was questionable for the game, but played against the Rams and, you know, got his usual usage. So uh, to me, it looks like the just kind of the knee stuff that he's going to have to manage all year and not something to worry about. We'll obviously watch him, but shouldn't affect A.J. Brown's uh, availability or role in this game. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I'll keep an eye on it. Um, he's been awesome for about you know the past month now, um, averaging 10 targets per game over his last four, a 34.5% target share. So, like, if Tennessee actually does start throwing it more, like, you know, A.J. Brown's volume could really spike. Tennessee, by the way, uh, 56% pass rate in neutral situations last week. They were at 44% with Derrick Henry. So we we didn't totally see it because they, they played with a lead for so much of that game versus the Rams, you know, kind of surprisingly. Um, but it does look like they're going to shift a, a decent bit towards the pass without Derrick Henry. So, you know, good news for A.J. Brown, obviously. Good news for Ryan Tannehill. Good news for Julio Jones, who he's off the injury report. Um, his playing time, you know, he was back up to 74% of the snaps last week and 84% of the routes, the, the you know, box score production wasn't there, um, but Tennessee just didn't have to throw it a whole lot in that game. Um, so Julio, he's in the wide receiver three mix for me, you know, there's still a low floor. We haven't really seen him produce yet this season, but I playing time and the health seems like it's trending up. So he, he's, um, you know, worth, worth a look. I think if you're, if, if you're in need of a wide receiver three or wide receiver four. Yeah, finally made it through a healthy game, not on the injury report, as you mentioned. He hasn't topped five targets in a game since week two, and that's the only time that he's caught, that he's topped four catches all year or reached 60 yards. So there's probably upside because he's Julio Jones, but we can't be sure. So, you know, lean his way, maybe not bet too heavily on him. The backfield for Tennessee was a committee against the Rams. It was Adrian Peterson as lead runner, Jeremy McNichols as lead receiver, and next in carries, Deontay Foreman, third, I thought he looked better than Adrian Peterson, though, when he got the ball. 
I thought Foreman looked like the best of the three of them. I mean, you, we only saw a, hand, a handful of touches for all three, so I'm not going to make any sweeping conclusions. Right. McNichols led in snaps in a positive game script, which you'd think, you know, he, he'd be on the field more if they're trailing. Um, it was also, you know, obviously Peterson's first game, Foreman's first game with the team. It's probably an evolving situation against the saints who are first in football outsiders run defense, DVOA fifth in adjusted points allowed to running backs. I would definitely try to avoid this backfield. McNichols would be my pick though. If you need to play one of these Titans. Yes, that would be my lean too, McNichols. And, you know, I don't want to put too much weight on the, what the guy looked like because it doesn't really matter what I think he looked like. It matters what the yeah. team think they look like. And we could very well get to the next game and have it be like, oh, Adrian Peterson looks better than Deontay Foreman this week. Neither guy, a strong bet for production. But, you know, something to keep in mind as we go forward and see how the touches get split up. Yep. Ryan Tannehill, fine but unexciting option this week. I think even after the big Matt Ryan game last Sunday, New Orleans is still a negative scoring matchup for uh, quarterback fantasy points. Yeah, again, I think Tannehill – um, trending up with Julio healthy and the volume likely to, to be higher going forward than it was with Derrick Henry. Um, but yeah, I think you know he, he's outside our top 12 quarterbacks this week because of the matchup. Atlanta at Dallas, the Cowboys by nine and a half over under a 54 and a half in this game. I don't know what to make of Matt Ryan. Uh, and it's probably further biasing me that he's on my FFPC main event roster the past two weeks. I did start him for maybe his worst game of the season against the Panthers and then with Dak back, I obviously wasn't starting him last week against New Orleans for probably his best outing of the season. So I think I have to step back, look at it objectively as much as I can, and realize that last that that the game against the Panthers was really more of the outlier versus what yeah. he's done overall this season than last week's game was, and figure that Matt Ryan's a solid option this week against Dallas. Yeah, he, here are Ryan's um, last five weekly finishes among quarterbacks. Third. 12th, 12th, Matt starts him against Carolina. He finishes 31st, and then he finishes third last week. So he's been a top 12 quarterback in four of the last five weeks now. I don't think that level is sustainable without Calvin Ridley. Like, I still have concerns when, you know, Russell Gage and Tajay Sharp are, you know, your, your, I guess, third and fourth options in the passing game. But, I, you know, I do think this game should be a shootout, or at least, you know, Dallas, I think, is going to score. So I think Ryan's going to have the pass volume. Dallas's pasty has been decent this season. They're seventh in football outsiders, DVOA, um, 18th in adjusted points allowed to quarterback. So I think it's sort of a middling matchup for Ryan. But again, I, I like the game environment. So I do think he's a decent spot setter this week. There's a couple guys I like better. Derek Carr, uh, Carson Wentz, I think are better options this week. But um, if you're in a deeper league and, and need a spot setter, I do think, I do think Ryan is, is okay this week. Yeah, and I think Matt Ryan is right with those guys. Uh, Derek Carr has been the most solid player among the three this season. Carson Wentz has the ceiling that his like gunslinger approach gives him. <laughs> but Matt Ryan has been mostly good, and this game has the highest over-under. So there should be garbage time, should be shootout potential to it. So Matt Ryan's a solid option, and I will continue starting Dak Prescott and hoping that Matt Ryan doesn't outscore him for the second straight game. Calvin Ridley, the Falcons placed on the non-football injury list, injury list last week. So that means that he will miss this week's game. He will miss at least one more. And then we'll see beyond that. It's anyone's guess when he's going to be back on the football field. Yeah, I'd still hold him if possible, you know, because he's not coming back from an injury. So when he is back on the field, he should be back in a full-time role. Uh, I'm not messing with any of these Falcons wide receivers if I can help it. I mean, Russell Gage, 
had the eight targets last week, but he had zero the week before. Olamide Zacchaeus scored twice last week, but he had just three targets, ran around on just 57% of the dropbacks. You know, Tajay Sharp is still playing ahead of Zacchaeus. So uh, if you can help it, just Pitts and Coriel Patterson from this Falcons offense. Yeah, we mentioned Tajay Sharp earlier. He's played three games now with no Calvin Ridley, 68% of the snaps or more in each of those, but the targets have gone 5 6 1. Russell Gage has been back for three games, 6 0 8 targets for him. The six came with Calvin Ridley, the zero and the eight came with no Calvin Ridley. So either of those guys could give you something, could give you absolutely nothing. I mean, Treat them as such, and it's going to be a coin flip on whether you play them. Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson belong in lineups. Mike Davis is okay in like RB3 range for PPR, but his two targets last week marked the second time in the past three games that he saw two targets or fewer. Yeah, Davis has averaged um, a little over 10 carries and four targets per game in the games Calvin Ridley had missed. So yeah, that's kind of the volume you're looking at. I think it kind of makes him a low-end RB3. This game, again, does have shootout, shootout potential, so I think that helps Davis a bit. Thank goodness on the Dallas side that we get a clear rebound matchup in the Falcons. So it makes it easier to bet on our Cowboys plays after a shockingly bad performance against the Broncos. I think, you know, part of it is missing left tackle Tyron Smith. That obviously can't be the entire explainer for it. Dak Prescott said that his calf wasn't bothering him against Denver, but you know, sure looked rusty in that game. I think the good news, especially just beyond the overall matchup is that, the Falcons are very poorly equipped to exploit any weaknesses in pass protection that Dallas might have this week. Yeah, I think you know Tyron Smith. That, that, that's a you know good point. I think that mattered last week. Um, you know, Dak's first game back off injury was with some rust. He, he he just he, Dak did not play well. Um, he, you know, he got it going late in the fourth quarter to help fantasy teams, but he was just off. I expect him to be better. I expect the Cowboys' offense to bounce back. Um, sounds like they'll finally get Michael Gallup back which is good news, obviously. Amari Cooper's the one guy to watch. Um, he, you know, he's been battling the hamstring. He's still on the injury report. He's, he was limited on Wednesday. Ended up playing just 58% of the snaps last week. Some of that was because of the score. They, they pulled him for a lot of the fourth quarter. It's it's clear to me he's not 100% out there. Um, and Cooper, at less than 100%, has you know really struggled throughout his career. So you know, he's the one guy that um, you know he's, he's a bit risky. I think I'd, I'd lean towards playing him just because of the matchup. But, you know, Cooper comes with some risk until that hamstring is is not a problem anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't lean as strongly to playing him as you normally would for a player of that caliber in a matchup of this caliber. Let's just hope that we don't get any more Malik Turner touchdowns this week. Please. Anything else from that game? Uh, I guess Zeke is the other guy to watch, too, with the knee contusion. Um, but he came back to last week's game, was limited on Wednesday. So he, he should play, um, but it's something worth watching. Cleveland at New England, Patriots by two and a half, over under 45. Cleveland only threw 21 passes in last week's beatdown of the Bengals in that first game without Odell Beckham. Jarvis Landry did lead the team with five targets, 23.8% share in that game. So Jarvis Landry's in play, knowing the risk that we already knew was there on him, that they just don't throw the ball all that much. I would expect more than 21 pass attempts in this game, but you know they're yeah. not going to throw it any more than they need to. Yeah, and the big story here, of course, Nick Chubb on the COVID list. And if he, you know, he is vaccinated, so he has a chance to be cleared by Sunday. Um, I kind of consider it unlikely, but there's a chance. If, if he's out, you expect Cleveland to have to throw it a bit more. Um, New England's been good against the pass, though. They're sixth in pass defense, DVOA. They're sixth in adjusted points allowed to wide receiver. So, you know, Landry, like a low end wide receiver three for me. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, with Nick Chubb, if he doesn't make it back, of course, it's going to be Dearness Johnson time again, in case you dropped him after his one game cameo previously. I mean, you've got to consider him like a top 15 running back if there's no Nick Chubb after what we got the last time. 
Oh yeah. I mean, he obviously looked awesome produced and Demetric Felton and John Kelly are also on the COVID list. You know, those guys mixed in a little bit in that big Dearness Johnson game. So if they're out, you know, you could get Johnson on the field for 80% of the snaps. Um, so yeah, he'd, he'd be a top 15 running back play if Chubb is out. On the Patriots side, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, both dealing with concussions. Neither one practiced on Wednesday, so that certainly doesn't bode well for the start to their weeks. Brandon Bolden becomes an intriguing RB2 if those guys are out. And, I mean, J.J. Taylor is probably also in play. I'm curious exactly how the backfield would look like because, you know, Bolden has been a special teamer and more of a pass catching back um, even this season. So I don't know if he'd get 15-plus carries. Um, you know, maybe it'd be something close to a 50-50 split between Bolden and Taylor as far as carries go, but Bolden would still do most of the pass catching where he'd be the preferred play. Don't go expecting Damian Harris level rushing volume for Bolden if Harris and Stevenson are out. Yes, I agree with that. This is a Cleveland matchup that has pushed things toward the passing side though, been tougher on the run. So it should be a, a decent setup for Brandon Bolden. And then the passing game, you know, things just remain diffused here. Like the, everything is spread around. There's, I, I, I don't see any changes. We talk about it every week, you know, Somebody's going to get targets. Probably nobody's going to get a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, Jacoby Meyer, like early in the season, Myers was getting the volume to be decent in fantasy. That, that's kind of gone away lately. He's um, 60th among wide receivers in expected fantasy points over the last four weeks. The, the problem has been New England started the season kind of pass-leaning. They've been run-heavy lately, 29th in situation-neutral pass rate over the last four weeks. You know, this matchup against Cleveland, who's tougher against the run than the pass, Plus the running back injuries, you know, we could see some some more passing volume from New England here. So that helps Myers a bit. Um, but he he's Myers is still a guy I would I would try to bench if possible. And he just he he has only two finishes better than wide receiver forty all season. None of those none of those have come in his last five games now. So I think if you're looking down in the range of guys like James Washington, that's where Jacoby Myers carries some upside, but certainly not somebody to be excited about here. Yep. Anything else in that game? Nope, Hunter Henry just keeps scoring touchdowns, but if he doesn't, he's gonna he's gonna hurt you. Yeah, congrats to Hunter Henry and his one touchdown among two catches every week. Buffalo at the New York Jets, Bills by 12 and a half, over under 48. I guess the odds makers here didn't watch Buffalo's performance at Jacksonville uh-huh. last week. Cole Beasley did not practice Wednesday, but it looks like he's just managing his rib issue because at game time he has three straight games of nine plus targets and seven plus catches. Yeah, so Be- Beasley, um, he didn't play much in the fourth quarter last week and then like you said did not practice on Wednesday it sounds like he was back out there on Thursday so I would expect him to play um, you know that rib thing adds some risk especially in this game if it you know, if it goes if it goes according to plan and the bills have a big lead you know maybe maybe Beasley gets some time on the sidelines I, uh, if you're picking between Beasley and Sanders I would go with Sanders Emmanuel Sanders just because he's healthy man it's it's a it's a great bounce back spot for this bill's offense and I I, I do expect them to bounce back I don't know if we get to Sunday and it's an active Beasley. I think I'm playing Beasley over Emmanuel Sanders, but you know, we'll see how the rest of the practice week goes and see exactly what his game designation is before getting too deep into that one. And real quick, since he came up, uh, we've got a question from YouTube where Matt wonders if you would trade Austin Eckler and Cole Beasley to get Tyreek Hill and Elijah Mitchell. What do you think, Jared? You know, I, I can't say I have a strong lean there. I got, I guess I'd rather have the Tyreek side. I, I think what you're, uh, Gaining at wide receiver there is a bit more than the loss at running back. 
Yeah, I would have a slight lean that way as well. It, it might depend a little bit on what else is at running back because Elijah Mitchell is not a lock to keep the role that he's got, but he looks like a good bet to stay the lead back in the San Francisco backfield. So yeah, my lean would be Tyreek Elijah Mitchell. Certainly looks like a fairly balanced deal overall. Back to the Bills and Jets. Emmanuel Sanders was back to his usual four catches, 65 yards on eight targets against Jacksonville. I wonder beyond that, I mean, you know, that's around the level he's been most of the season. We've talked about him plenty. I wonder if it might be time to stop being so sure that Stefan Diggs is going to reclaim more of the target share than he's been getting and get anywhere close to last year. I mean, Stefan Diggs is still an easy start, so it's not yep. something to worry about. But he's looked like a strong buy to this point, and I just wonder if maybe we should recalibrate our expectations for Stefan Diggs rather than expecting that there's more to come beyond what he is doing. Yeah, so Diggs is 13th in our expected fantasy points per game on the season among wide receivers. So, you know, he he's not getting elite top three, top five wide receiver usage. He's getting low-end wide receiver one usage. Now, now, he's he's underperformed even that usage. So I do think there is some room for positive regression. But, but I'm with you. I don't think he's going to return to the level he was at last season. Worth noting, too, the Bills have the Colts, Saints, Pats, Bucks, Panthers, Pats coming up after this Jets game. So this matchup's fine. And obviously, it's a good enough pass offense that you're not worried about them against anyone. But that, that's a decently tough stretch of pass defenses coming up. And they have had such an easy schedule if you look at it so far. You know, they've played Jacksonville, Miami, the Jets they've played already. They played Houston. Like, you know, they I, I don't I don't know if the numbers support this, but it seems like they've had one of, if not the easiest schedules in the league so far. Elsewhere on the Buffalo offense, I've seen lots of I'm never trusting Zach Moss ever again this week. So, I mean, are people justified in that feeling? Is this going to be an outlier of the game or was this a shift back to Devin Singletary? Well, so I'll, I'll say Singletary was playing more than usual before Moss got you know, Moss got knocked out of last week's game with a concussion. That mostly explains that the bad numbers. I would kind of not expect him to play this week. So you want to make the Moss decision this week. And if Moss is out, I think Devin Singletary is like an RB2 with no Zach Moss back in week one. Remember, Zach Moss was a, was a healthy scratch for this year's opener. Singletary played 75% of the Bills snaps. He had 11 carries and five targets. And then in the three games Zach Moss missed last season, Singletary averaged 14 carries and four targets per game. So you get that sort of volume in a pretty good matchup here against the Jets. Um, again, if there's no Zach Moss, I think Singletary is an RB2 play. I agree with that. Um, the Bills on defense could be missing some key pieces. Slot corner Teron Johnston also has a concussion. He was limited Wednesday, so we'll see if he's able to make it back. They also um, called up a corner from the practice squad, I believe, Cam Lewis. So we'll see if that um, is an indication that Teron Johnson might miss the game. Middle linebacker Tremaine Edmonds has a hamstring injury. He did not practice Wednesday. Not sure that significantly alters anything for the offensive outlook on the other side. But, I mean, if they're missing Edmonds, it can only help somebody like Michael Carter. So on that Jets side, the Jets say Mike White is going to start this week. Zach Wilson practiced on Wednesday. He was still limited, though. I think at the very least, Mike White being better than the Jets expected, clearly, means that there's no need to rush Zach Wilson back from his knee injury. There, I think it's a little bit, I don't know, presumptuous to say that we're heading toward a QB controversy here after one good Mike White game. We'll see where that goes. I think they're at least well set up to not have to rush Zach Wilson back into the lineup. Yeah, people are really saying there's a quarterback, like long-term quarterback controversy here. Right, that's how <laughs> that, that, that's that's the fans are. That's just that that's the reaction time. If Mike White had one half of a good game, people are like, oh, maybe he's the guy and it's not Zach Wilson. White actually was really good for those two drives against the Colts. Like the game against the Bengals was kind of fluky. There was a lot of dump-offs and yards. He actually 
made some good throws in those first two drafts against the Colts. I, I still don't think there's a long-term controversy, but I guess that's a discussion for another day. White is going to start this game, which is good news for Michael Carter and to a lesser extent, Ty Johnson. We talked about, you know, the rate at which White has been targeting his running backs. It was kind of a bad break if you started Michael Carter last week because you were you know, doing so, expecting the passing game volume from Mike White, and then he gets knocked out. Josh Johnson just was not looking to dump off to his running back. So brutal matchup for uh, Carter against the Bills here, but um, I think you know he should get enough volume both on the ground and in the passing game to you know be a, a decent kind of you know floor play in fantasy lineups. Yeah, Michael Carter let you down last week, but his role didn't change. I mean, five straight games, double digit carries. So uh, we've got Buffalo, yep. Miami, Houston. The next three should be decent spots. This should be a particularly decent spot for his targets to return. Corey Davis sounds like he should be back for this game. Missed the past two with a hip injury, was officially limited Wednesday's practice, but he told reporters afterward that he went, quote, full throttle. So sounds like he's ready to come back. Four-plus catches in four straight games and five of his six games. Not a whole lot of upside to Corey Davis, but we should be back in the mix. Yeah, total wait-and-see situation for me with the Jets here in this matchup against the Bills, who are first in football outsiders. Pass defense DVOA, they're second in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. Elijah Moore coming off, you know, the, the big breakout game on Thursday night. Playing time was up. You know, he was up to 63% of the pass routes, and he was at 37% the week prior. He saw eight targets in that game against the Colts. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how this shakes out now with Corey Davis back. I, th- I think Crowder's probably kind of entrenched as the slot guy. So it'll probably be Davis and Elijah Moore on the outside, but we'll have to see again in this matchup against Buffalo. I would, I would just try to avoid the situation and we'll kind of reassess it next week. Yeah. Remain a fan of Elijah Moore long-term. It's an offense I would like to not have to rely on at any point week to week for redraft this year. Jacksonville at Indianapolis Colts by 10 and a half over under a 47 and a half. Still no practice for James Robinson on Wednesday. So we're going to have to watch him through the week. It sounded last week, like, he should be, I don't know, pretty much a shoe in to make it back by week 10. Like they weren't even sure he was going to miss week nine. So what's the, have you seen anything more recently on him? The beat writer said he was on the practice field Thursday. You know, we'll see how he's listed, but yeah, I mean, every, everything suggested he'll be back this week. I, I would still expect that at this point, tough matchup against the Colts. You know, the Colts are a, a pass funnel defense. Football Outsiders has them uh, 26th against the pass, second against the run. They're also third in adjusted points allowed to running back. So downgrade Robinson a bit in the matchup, but you know, he he's, he has been getting enough volume where, you know, I think he's still a pretty solid RB two play. Yeah, I agree with that. Trevor Lawrence also dealing with an ankle sprain. Doesn't really matter that much for him because we're not playing him anyway in fantasy, but you know, it's enough to maybe be a negative tiebreaker on Jaguars wideouts. If you have a close call between Marvin Jones and somebody else, for example. Yeah. Again, the matchup is good here. You know, the Colts are 28th and adjusted points allowed to wide receivers, but, uh, Marvin Jones, you know, total duds in four of his last five games. Now the, the fifth one was, was a pretty big game. Um, and he's 50th among wide receivers and expected fantasy points over those last five games. So he, you know, even Marvin Jones has kind of become tough to rely on Dan Arnold. I think, you know, cr- clearly the, the best fantasy play among these Jags pass catchers. Yeah. Crazy, but yeah, I agree on the Colts side. T Y Hilton is dealing with a concussion. So we'll see if he's available for this game. Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, obvious. Carson Wentz, we kind of hit on. He's a nice option just beyond the top 12 at quarterback. And then Naheem Hines is the guy who, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere last week, but he had a Naheem Hines game that makes you remember that he's there and then makes you wonder whether you should start him the next week. And the answer is usually no. I mean, the largest snap share since week three, but the snap total was not out of line with previous weeks. It was just the rushing production that was. 
Yeah, he, he had 10 touches last week, which, you know, it isn't even a, a huge number, but it, it was his most since week three. He averaged 3.8 carries and 2.6 targets between weeks four and eight. Um, you know, this game against Jacksonville, the Colts are big favorites, does not set up as a Naheem Hines game. So, you know, I would definitely try not to use Hines if you can help it. Yeah, it was the fourth time that he's gotten to six carries this year. It was the fourth time he's caught at least four balls. So, you know, there wasn't anything outlierish about the game. There wasn't anything trending upward about the game other than the right. rushing yards that he got, and he just happened to get touches in that game. So don't overrate it. He's an option if you're digging for one, but at least as likely to let you down as help you. Agreed. Carolina at Arizona, the Cardinals by 10 and a half. That's up four and a half from open over under 44 and a half for this game. I'm guessing the lines move because Sam Darnold's out. I'm not sure why he would be worth that many points at this stage, but Christian McCaffrey, nothing else. If I can help it on the Carolina side, I mean, even DJ Moore at this point, I'm treating like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett when Geno Smith was starting for the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Metcalf and Lockett without the upside, right? Carolina signed Cam Newton this morning. Um, he's not going to start this week. It's going to be P.J. Walker. I do think Newton um, you know, maybe by next week is ready. And he, he might be the starter the rest of the way, um, you know, based on how Sam Darnold has played. And Darnold obviously doesn't have a future in Carolina. So we'll we'll see about that. But, yeah, um, you know, McCaffrey, they said he'd be limited last week. He, he was kind of limited. He only played 49% of the snaps. But he still saw 14 targets – or, sorry, 14 carries – and five targets. Um, yeah, I would expect that just to continue to climb. I, you know, he's he's going to get as much work as he can handle the rest of the way now with you know the, the situation at quarterback. Yeah, he might be heading for 14 targets this week. We'll see. But he's the only thing to semi-like in the Panthers' offense. On the Cardinals' side, still no practice for Kyler Murray or DeAndre yeah. Hopkins on Wednesday, so we're going to keep needing to watch those guys throughout the week. A.J. Green did get activated off the COVID list, so he should play in this game. But again, it's more about what happens with Kyler Murray this week. Yeah, Randall Moore out too the first two days of practice with a concussion and a neck injury. Um, so it's it, it's you know honestly tough to talk about this Cardinals passing game right now just because we don't know who's going to be available. You know, I guess you know we know Christian Kirk and AJ Green are going to be out there as you know basically full time players. But if it's Colt McCoy again, um, that obviously hurts their upside a bit. Um, Chase Edmonds out with a high ankle sprain. You know I would expect him to miss at least a month with that injury. James Conner is like a borderline RB1 might be a kind of a, a entrenched RB1 with Chase Edmonds out. I mean, we know he'd already been getting all the goal line work. That's going to continue. He's going to get more carries. I think he's going to get most of the passing game work too. I mean, I know he'd been basically a zero in the passing game so far this season, but you know, he, he was a good pass catcher in Pittsburgh. He can do that. And he showed that he could do it last week with, with, with a big game in the passing game. So I think you're looking at, you know, 15 to 20 carries per game for Connor with Chase Edmonds out plus a handful of targets. Yeah, it just makes you feel good to see James Conner be one of those guys that gets the opportunity coming his way. After all the, you know, coming back from cancer stuff, he's clearly a hard worker, seems like a likable player. So it's heartwarming. I, I would stash Eno Benjamin, though. I, I don't think he's going to do enough behind Conner to be a fantasy option. But, I mean, I mean we know Conner has had trouble staying healthy throughout his career, and especially if he's going to take on a bigger workload now. Um, you, you know, Eno Benjamin is, I think, just a James Conner injury away from taking over as the lead back here. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly worth stashing. I think in general, kind of making that move ahead of Sunday's games where possible is a good idea at this point. Like if you have wide receivers such as, you know, Terrace Marshall or some of the other dudes that we've been talking about where you just have them stashed and you're hoping for something and they're not usually giving you anything, you know, when you get to the weekend, dump them for the next running back on whatever roster, somebody who's available just in case there's an injury that Sunday, then all of a sudden you're holding this asset just shot, shot up in value rather than bidding on them with the rest of the league. 
I dropped Robbie Anderson for Eno Benjamin in an FFPC league last night, and it, it felt amazing. <laughs> Watch. Now it's going to be Robbie Anderson week with his college quarterback in the huddle. All right. Sure it will be. Minnesota at the LA Chargers. Chargers by three and a half, over under a 53. It is the second highest over under of the week. So it certainly looks like a good spot for fantasy production. I don't think there's anything sneaky on the Vikings side. You know, Dalvin Cook, obviously, the story with him is his uh, off-field situation this week. It doesn't look like it's going to affect his availability for this game. We'll see beyond that. I think the fact that it's a civil case rather than a criminal charge probably increases the chances that it won't affect his playing time this year. Certainly not going to get into the details of this case because that's not what kind of show this is. But, you know, it, it doesn't look like it should impact his fantasy availability in week 10. Right, and a great spot for Cook here. You know, we've talked about this Chargers defense being a, a run funnel. They're 32nd in football outsiders run defense DVO. So I, I would expect a run-heavy game plan from Minnesota here. That kind of hurts Kirk Cousins. I don't think Cousins is a great spot setter this week. Despite, you know, again, you mentioned the high over-under here. I expect it to be a high-scoring game. I'd expect – I just expect – uh, most of that to come from the running game for the Vikings. Yeah, I agree. We'll see if the Chargers can jump out to a lead and force some more passing, but it looks like a run funneling matchup. We already saw a Chargers shootout with the Browns earlier this season where we had tons of Nick Chubb um, and yeah. still the high score for Cleveland. Kirk Cousins, you know, is a spot starter option, but not a target. He's behind Matt Ryan, behind Ryan Tannehill in our rankings. Also a spot behind Taylor Heineke. I think I'd probably play Kirk Cousins over Taylor Heineke just because he's an easier player to bet on. And then Kirk Cousins versus Ryan Tannehill would be kind of a toss-up for me where I could see it going either way. Yes, agree. Uh, You could play Cousins over Tannehill and Heineke. That wouldn't bother me at all. Um, But Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, and Matt Ryan, I prefer over Cousins this week for sure. I agree with those. I think Tyler Conklin probably qualifies as the sneakiest play here. Uh, He's been decent lately, not terrific, but his target counts were up the past two weeks. And the Chargers are a neutral matchup for tight end scoring versus negative against quarterbacks and negative against wide receivers. So it could be a spot for targets to head his way, you know, right around that fringe of tight end one to two range. Yeah, Football Outsider says the Chargers 30th in tight end coverage. Um, they're just 17th in adjusted points allowed to the position, I, I think, just because they haven't faced a lot of pass volume. You know, teams are running on them. So that's kind of the concern with Conklin. But um, when Minnesota does go to the air, um, you know, he, he has one of the better matchups on that team. Chargers side, Keenan Allen, no practice Wednesday with a knee issue. It's a new injury, wasn't listed at all last week with it. And he was in the Philly game until the team's final drive. So it doesn't seem like a big issue, but it's going to be something to watch. Yep. Well, we'll have a better idea by Friday, I'm sure. Um, you know, Mike Williams, the other receiver here who had been dealing with a knee injury, um, he he just, he hasn't produced since that knee injury. And um, I was watching that Chargers game last week, and the CBS broadcast crew made a comment during the game about how you know Mike Williams' knee is, is still an issue. Um, he's been off the injury report now. He was off it last week. He's off it again this week. You know, th- this could be a spot for him to get going again, though. Um, you know, we'll see about Keenan's injury. But even if Allen is healthy, um, Minnesota 26th in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. So I, I would um, lean towards sticking with Mike Williams um, despite his, you know, slow stretcher. We, we saw the upside he brings early this season. Yeah, I would lean towards sticking with him as well. It's certainly possible that the knee is bothering him, just not enough where it's affecting his practice participation or his playing time, which has also rebounded the past two games. So he he has seen just five targets in three straight games. The matchups have been, you know, a a tiny bit harder than they were before that. Justin Herbert also just rebounded from two down games. So, you know, we'll see how much of it was all of those factors coming in versus the first 
three games of the season, Mike Williams's average depth the target is deeper, which is going to make him a more volatile target than when he's getting shorter stuff. But that was something that started changing in week four. So he had a couple of actually had a, a rough game in there and then a rebound game after the first one within that range. So I don't think that that's necessarily a culprit right now. I think maybe it's, the further removed he gets from that knee issue, the better bet he is to just be back to being regular Mike Williams. And we'll watch and see if he pops back up on the injury report. But, you know, until then, he, he looks – a few weeks ago he looked like a sell high because we didn't think that his production was going to continue. Now he's looking more like a buy low for anybody who's panicking over the past few weeks. Agreed. Seattle at Green Bay. Packers by three and a half, over under 49 and a half. Russell Wilson is back. So, hallelujah, we can put Dev- DK Metcalf and – uh, Tyler Lockett back in our lineups, and it's been so long that I felt good about that. I almost gave DK Metcalf a different first name. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice to see Ross back in there. Um, you know, he was a top nine fantasy quarterback in three of his first four games. So I, I'd feel comfy getting him back in there against you know kind of a mediocre Packers defense that is still without top corner Jair Alexander. So that's especially good news for DK Metcalf. Chris Carson is he going to play? It seems like he's leaning that way. Yeah, I don't know. Designated to return and was back on the practice field yesterday. I it, The vibe I'm getting is Seattle wants to get him back on the practice field and see how that neck responds. And then based on that, they'll decide whether he's ready to play or not. It's definitely a situation to watch. And I mean, if Carson's back in, I think we have to assume that he would be back close to his normal work, but we don't really know because it's, it's tough to know what to make of this neck issue. It wasn't an injury that he suffered in a game. It was more like a, a lingering thing that just became too much for him to manage at some point. Yeah, I, I think he might be back in his old role but remember his his role wasn't that strong to begin the season even before the injury you know he was losing passing down stuff to some of these other backs including Alex Collins so um, if Carson plays he'd be my pick among Seattle's backfield but you know no, no more than an RB3 or flex play yeah on the Packers side Aaron Rodgers seems to think that he'll be back we're gonna have to watch because he's not officially activated off the COVID list but if he does make it back you know we're back to treating this Green Bay offense as normal and this one's a little trickier to me because he can't be activated until Saturday. So he, he's not going to practice at all. He's going to have done nothing for, for 10 days coming off COVID. So I do think there's some more risk than usual with Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's kind of, it's obviously uncharted territory. We haven't really dealt with this stuff prior to the last couple of seasons. Um, but I mean, at least you can feel better about Devonta Adams and Aaron Jones. Jared, how can you say he's done nothing? He's made two visits to the Pat McAfee <laughs> show and he's going out in disguise to buy coffee. <laughs> That's right. I'd say he's pretty busy. I think other players I would worry more about that than with Aaron Rodgers. I would imagine that he's doing what he can to be ready. Plus, I mean, there aren't going to be very many players in the league who just mentally are prepared more than Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, maybe a slight downgrade, but not anything I'm going to worry too much about heading into this game. Anything else from that Packers side before we move on? No, I mean, the note I made about the Packers is I'm not taking much from their last two games because you had no Devonta Adams two weeks ago. So we saw them, you know, feature Aaron Jones in the passing game, get A.J. Dillon more work on the ground. And then last week there was no Aaron Rodgers. So we saw them go run heavy and Dillon got an increased role again. So I'm kind of, again, not not putting much stock into what we've seen the last two weeks from Green Bay. Yeah, time to hit reset and see what happens this week. Philadelphia at Denver. The Broncos by three, over under 45 and a half. Devontae Smith coming off a big game against the Chargers, limited Wednesday with an elbow issue. Not overly concerned about that unless we have reason to be by the end of the week. The stat line against the Chargers, though, to me is more of an outlier 
been a reason to start him this week. You know, it does point to the upside that Devontae Smith brings to the field, but he only saw six targets in that game uh, among 17 pass attempts for Jalen Hurts. And the Eagles shift from pass heavy to run heavy, a drastic shift over the past two games, only adds downside, I think, to Devontae Smith. I think the Eagles, I think they were, I want to say, second in situation neutral pass rate over the first few weeks of the season. They're dead last in situation neutral pass rate over the last four weeks now. It's just a massive shift. That's hurt all these pass catchers. I mean, Devontae Smith has a 24% target share over the last four games, but that's equated to just five and a half targets per game. And and Denver, I don't think Denver Denver's offense is going to force Philly to, to throw it much more than they want to. So I think you're going to get low passing volume from Philly again this week. Yeah, I think it's a reason to be wary of Devontae Smith in general. Again, there's upside if you're looking down at you know low wide receiver three range, but uh, don't get too excited. Dallas Goddard is getting close to 30% target share since Zach Ertz left town. I mean, you know, like with Devontae Smith, that means limited target volume because of the situation he's in right now. But at tight end, we need target volume a little bit less than we do at wide receiver. So it's enough to like Dallas Goddard. And he had an okay game fantasy-wise last week against the Chargers, just missed a longer connection when Jalen Hurts couldn't really throw a good ball with pressure in his face. Yeah, six targets per game for Goddard in the three games since Zach Ertz was dealt. So it's a fine number and it's not elite. I've backed off Goddard being like a top five option the rest of the way um, just because of this Philly offense going so run heavy. I think, you know, he's more of a low end tight end one. I do think that we'll get a little bit of regression back toward 50-50 in run pass. I mean, they've gone 64% run over these past two games, that blowout at Detroit and the game against the Chargers. It's tough to imagine that continuing because that's even beyond what the Ravens did the past few years in terms of run pass split. But I do think that that the shift makes Miles Sanders even more attractive as an addition before he gets back on the field. I have multiple leagues I've seen. He's been available on the waiver wire so far. Wow. Yeah, I would definitely grab him if he's available on the waiver wire. I could just see like Jordan Howard staying involved when my, when Miles Sanders gets back, that'd be my concern, but he should definitely be owned in, you know, leagues of 10 plus teams. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't overspend for Miles Sanders, but he he's in a spot right now where you could probably get him for something that's not all that attractive. And then even if he doesn't do it the rest of the way, it's not a bad bet to make. And I mean, if they do keep giving the ball a lot to Jordan Howard <laughs> and Boston Scott with Miles Sanders back in there, then they should just fire Nick Sirianni at the end of the season. Yeah, agreed there. Um, you know, as for the backfield this week, I, I'd still lean towards Boston Scott as a top play. I mean, we're, we're just guessing, though. I mean, you know, two weeks ago, we thought it was going to be Kenneth Gainwell. Then last week, we thought it was going to be Boston Scott. We were wrong both times. Scott did still lead the way in snaps last week, even though Jordan Howard led in carries. I do still think Scott is, you know, he's going to get some work on the ground. He's going to get some work in the passing game. Um, Howard still, to me, kind of looks like a, a touchdown or bust fantasy play. And Scott was the first guy on the field in that backfield last week. So I don't know that we were necessarily wrong. It looked more like a hot hand situation and they ended up playing close to the same amount of snaps. It, to me, it looked like they went with Jordan Howard more because he was running well in that game, which of course means that that can happen in any game going forward. I would lean Boston Scott, but it's, it's similar to Adrian Peterson, Deontay Foreman. You don't really know who's going to get more carries by the end of the game. Yep. On the Denver side, I mean, it's just all kind of neutral plays. Not a whole lot for me to get excited about. I do like how Jerry Judy's usage has trended since he returned from his injury. Yeah, um, you know, the playing time was kind of back up where we need it to be. You know, he was basically a full-time player last week. They, they have Judy playing in the slot with Sutton and Tim Patrick on the outside. Judy also has the lowest ADOT among these three guys. And we, you know, we talked about this 
Eagles defense last week with Keenan Allen, you know, that, that came through with Allen having a big game. I think that is going to be Judy this week. You know, short passes is how you attack the Eagles. I would expect Judy to, to lead the Broncos wide receivers in, in targets and fantasy points this week. Yeah, and having him in the slot more, I think, can only be good for the target count, especially working with a short-range quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater. Noah Fant, to me, is looking a little too much like Hunter Henry lately. Much less of a good bet for targets week to week, especially now that Jerry Judy's back. Yeah, it's a concern. Uh, I, I would say uh, we'll have to keep an eye on Albert Okwebunum, who left last week's game with a knee injury and did not practice on Wednesday. If he's out, that will help Noah Fant. Um, Fant's averaged eight targets per game without Albert O. This season, just 5.3 with Alberto. Now, a lot of those games came without Judy, obviously, so I wouldn't project eight targets for Fant, but um, his volume should get a boost if Albert O is not uh, able to play this week. Yeah, maybe shave a couple of targets off of each of those averages with Jerry Judy back, and, and that gives you, I don't know, kind of a reasonable level of expectation. Anything else from that game? Yep. No, um, you know, we obviously got ceiling week from the backfield last week, but, you know, we can't, you know, uh, Gordon and... Tremonte Williams combined for 38 carries last week. You obviously can't bank on that. Melvin Gordon did remain the lead back in terms of both snaps and carries, so he's still the preferred play. But to me, they're, they're both still RB3s, you know, despite the, the big games last week. Yeah, that backfield just is what it is. If you're choosing between them, then if you're flipping a coin, it's uh, Melvin Gordon has the slight lean, but it could be either of them in a given week. Kansas yep. City at Las Vegas, Chiefs by two and a half still. I mean, Vegas is still like, it's it's the Chiefs. They're going to come back at some point. Over under 52, Clyde edwards Lair comes back. We'll see if he's on the active roster, but he returned to practice Wednesday. And I don't know, what are we expecting from him? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, b- before the injury, he was getting RB2 usage and producing as an RB2. He was 17th among running backs and half PPR points per game. He averaged 14 and a half carries and two targets in his uh, four full games. I would kind of expect him to get back to that. I mean, you know, Darrell Williams, the usage has been good without CEH, but he hasn't looked special. So I would expect Clyde Edwards-Alaire to be the lead back again when he's healthy. But again, we don't know if he's going to play this week. And then if he does, we don't know if he's going to be ready to get back into that role. So he's, he's risky this week if he's active. If not, I do still think Darrell Williams is still like a, a high-end RB2 just based on the usage he's been getting. Yeah, and it wasn't a dominant lead role for CEH before he went down. So don't get expectations too high when he gets back on the field, and then we'll see about the specifics beyond that. Otherwise, I mean, about the same as usual for usability yeah. among other Chiefs options. Patrick Mahomes is certainly a few spots lower than we'd gotten used to putting him in the quarterback rankings. It, every passing week makes it tougher to say it's the Chiefs and they're going to bounce back at some point. I mean, if you drafted Mahomes and then Tom Brady for some reason, like I would bench Mahomes this week, but like I don't like otherwise, like you're 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 playing him. Um, I do think they'll get it figured out eventually. He he's just too good, and Tyreek Hill is too good, and Travis Kelsey is too good. And Andy Reid's been you know calling and designing offenses for years. It's tough yeah. to imagine that they just got figured out and they can't do it anymore so you know you head in every week saying yeah it's the chiefs they're gonna rebound at some point at some point it it sounds like tony romo and jim nance during the super bowl last year where you're like oh now though they're just gonna get going and it just doesn't happen so you know i think everybody feels a little bit less good about betting on it but you can't be like all right i'm benching Mahomes until something changes yeah like you said i mean 27.25 point implied total like you know vegas isn't super worried about the chiefs offense on the Raiders' side, Hunter Renfro limited Wednesday with an ankle issue, assuming that he's good to go. He's a solid PPR option here. 
And it was a relative down week for Derek Carr last week at the Giants through two interceptions for the first time this year, but he still got the 296 yards passing and a touchdown in his last two meetings with the Chiefs last year, 347 and three and 275 and three. Yeah, I think Carr is the best week 10 spot starter at quarterback, you know, at home. One of the best matchups should be a high scoring game. Like you said, he's been good. He finished quarterback 18 last week. He had been a top 14 quarterback in five of his first seven games um, should get the Sean Jackson added to the mix this week too. I don't think DJX will be a fantasy option, but you know, he, he's going to replace that speed that the Raiders lost in Henry Ruggs. Josh Jacobs. It seems like a solid option for this one against a soft chiefs defense. No, thanks on Kenyon Drake though. I'm not buying the eight targets from last week. Me either. Um, you know, he hadn't seen more than six since week three. I mean, if, if there's a game for him to be busy again, it's it's this one. And, you know, it should be a high-scoring game. They could be playing from behind. Um, I don't know. Like, I'd, I'd rather play McKissick than Drake, but, you know, they're kind of in the same tier for me. Yeah, I would say that McKissick is a better bet to get those targets than Drake is, but it's certainly that territory. I would say Kenyon Drake is like Naheem Hines. Yeah, that's fair. L.A. Rams at the San Francisco 49ers. Rams by four. 49ers have been a strongly positive matchup for quarterback scoring this year. So, I mean, it's a good spot for Matthew Stafford to rebound. Let's hope that nobody hugs him in the end zone and makes him spin and makes him throw while spinning. It's a negative matchup for tight ends, though. So maybe it's finally time for me to sit Tyler Higby in those close decision situations. He scored last week, man. That was a, that was a touchdown. He got robbed. Higby led all tight ends and expected fantasy points last week. Um, he finished tight end eleven. He just continues. I kept to expecting him too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just continues to underperform the usage. I mean, I don't know. I still think he's a good player and a good offense. Like, I'd, I'd still be willing to to ride with him if he's been your guy all season. I would too. It's not somebody where you need to go upgrade on it, but uh, you know, maybe when I if I'm looking at him versus Dalton Schultz, this might be the week where I'm like, okay, it makes sense now to play Dalton Schultz over uh, Tyler Higby. Oh yeah, I play Schultz over Higby this week. On the Niners side, do you have anything else for the Rams before I do that? No, all the usuals. Yeah, that's what I was figuring. On the Niners side, Debo Samuel made it through last week despite the injury that had him iffy going in. George Kittle came back in a big way. And Brandon Ayuk, is he back to being relevant? Are we suddenly looking at a Niners offense that we should be a little bit excited about? Jimmy G's finished as a top seven fantasy quarterback in two straight weeks now. I mean, it was the two rushing scores two weeks ago, but he he put up nice passing numbers last week. Um, Yeah, with these guys, you know, Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle as healthy as they've been all season um Debo Samuel's playing time was in line with where it's been despite the calf injury so he he seems safe to use Brandon Ayuk I mean 88% of the snaps in week eight 93% last week he was 12th in expected fantasy points among wide receivers last week so I mean he's in as strong a role as you could have hoped for prior to the season so um, I think Ayuk is definitely back in play as as you know a wide receiver three with upside Yes, I agree with that. I would say low wide receiver three with upside. So it's not quite enough to say, oh, yeah, Brandon Ayuk is now the guy that I thought I was drafting and he's in my lineup. But if you're in a position where you think, you know, Tim Patrick is interesting or you're thinking about James Washington, in cases like that, I would go ahead and play Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I think passing volume still a concern for you know these three guys now. You know, it's, it's, it's getting crowded. But playing the Rams here, you know, they could find themselves playing from behind and that passing volume could be up on Monday night. Elijah Mitchell's volume was up last week. Five targets in that game. If he can continue getting some receiving stuff along with the rushing stuff, I mean, it's going to be even comfier to play Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, that that was nice to see him produce despite the, you know, big time negative 
game script. Five targets, as you mentioned, 61% of the routes for Elijah Mitchell to just 37% for Jamichael Hasty. I, I would have guessed it would have been flip-flopped in a game like that. Um, so it was nice to see. I mean, we know Mitchell is the clear lead ball carrier, but it looks like even if the Niners are playing from behind that he's going to stay involved. Yeah, I, I would not treat him as a sell high right now and assume that he's going to lose significant work to Jeff Wilson Jr. I would, I'm going forward assuming that Elijah Mitchell is going to be the lead back in that backfield the rest of the way. You know, not saying I'm I'm sure of it, but that's my assumption. I mean, we're talking about Jeff Wilson here. You know, it's not like some you know big time talent, highly drafted player. Um, he didn't play a single snap last week, and you know, first game active off a pretty major knee surgery, so maybe he works himself into the mix. I could see him stealing some goal line work, but beyond that, I, I don't think he's going to be a drain on Mitchell. Right. Before Jeff Wilson Jr. was injured and had surgery, he was behind Raheem Mostert. Even if you think that he was not behind Raheem Mostert last year, he was behind Raheem Mostert. He got work when Raheem Mostert got hurt. So a fine player probably will be in the mix. I'm not scared for Elijah Mitchell because Jeff Wilson Jr. is back. Yep, I agree. Just don't tell Jeff Wilson Sr. I said that. That's going to do it for this Week 10 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full Week 10 rankings and help you finalize your lineup decisions. Check the My Teams page to get customized projections based on your league settings. You can also find us anytime in the free DraftSharks Discord. You can find the link to join that in the description for this podcast, wherever you might be consuming it. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouts saying thanks so much for swimming with us.